Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. We shall read from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, first of all, and then uh, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 3, just a couple of verses, the beginning of the chapter. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother. He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. 
Ephesians 3 and 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. So if you think back to last month, the end of October, in our last study we looked at what it meant to have Christ dwelling in our hearts. And love is dwelling within us, the indwelling Holy Spirit, strengthening the inner man as God himself inhabits the believer deep within our inner being, in our heart, infusing the believer with love, the love of Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And that love within us must surely affect us. It must change our attitudes and our motives and our emotions and our will And that love will work itself out in how we speak, in the language that we use, in how we live our lives, in how we regard our neighbours, in how we think about the possessions that we have in this world, about how we approach God with humble, repentant gratitude for the mighty deliverance that he has accomplished in us. This indwelling love makes us new people. We have, after all, a new heart, a new life in Christ, a life that is being prepared for our eternal destiny in glory, a life that is being more Christ-like. Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we are growing in grace. And we are being rooted in the deep soil of Christ's indwelling love. We have foundations. We are anchored with deep and lasting foundations in the work of his grace. How wonderful is Christ's love for us. Sinners, that he would bring us from death to life. So Paul says here that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Here's what Paul wants us to know talking about God's love for us in Christ Jesus, his love for his own people, for redeemed sinners. Years ago, when I was a wee child, I used to go to a children's meeting. It was held on the steps during the summer down the street and was taken by a faithful, godly, old Presbyterian minister and an elder from the church And they would come and they would 
get the kids all up on the steps and they would sing we songs. And one of the songs that they sang was the love of Jesus is so wonderful. Oh, wonderful love. So high you can't get over it. So low you can't get under it. So wide you can't get around it. Wonderful love. And if you were at one of those wee meetings, similar meetings to that, and you sang that wee song too, then I'm quite sure that you were as bad as I was. For when it got to the bit where you said, so wide, you can't get around it, you flung open your arms and you slapped the person sitting next to you. And the next thing you knew, you were being told off or put out or told to go home. That wee song's true enough as far as it goes, isn't it? It's probably based on this text. Paul invites us here to comprehend The Greek is katalambanu. The word means to grasp, to comprehend the love of God. It is the purpose of being strengthened by the Holy Spirit, being filled with the love of Christ, being rooted and grounded in that love. The purpose of that is that you will be able to understand in some measure how great is the Father's love for us. So Paul describes it here in four dimensions. He talks about its breadth and its length and its height and its depth. R. Kent Hughes in his commentary, The Mystery of the Body of Christ, describes these four measurements as four magnitudes. A love that is wide enough to embrace the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. A love that's long enough to last forever, for love never fails. Spurgeon said, It is so long that your old age can't wear it out. It is so long that your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it. It is so long that your successive temptations cannot drain it dry. Like eternity itself, God's love in Christ knows no bounds. It's high enough to take sinners to heaven. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knoweth him not. Beloved, we are the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. All because of God's love. It brings us into heaven. It's a love that is deep enough to take Christ to the very depths, to reach the worst and most filthy sinner, for there's no soul beyond his reach. An infinite, indescribable love. A.W. Tozer wrote, Because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love has no end. 
Because he is infinite, his love has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is incomprehensibly vast. It is bottomless. It is like a shoreless sea. In Romans chapter 5, Paul uses a very practical illustration to help us to grasp it. In Romans 5 and verse 7, he says, For scarcely will a righteous, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love that loves us when we are unlovable is a very great and wonderful love indeed. So Paul prays that the Ephesian Christians, and us by extension, that we will know that great, fast, redeeming love. Except there's a problem. Because he tells us in verse 19 that that love passeth knowledge. He says that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which you can't know. You see, trapped in the smallness of our minds, even the greatest thinkers in human history do not have the intellectual capacity to understand the magnitude of the love of God. And Psalm 8, the psalmist looks at the vastness of the heavens. He looks at the universe which God has created and he's struck with the smallness of his own human condition. He says, when I consider thy heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon, and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? God is well beyond our comprehension. Frederick Lehman wrote this poem. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Paul brings in this seeming contradiction, this dichotomy. We are to know, to comprehend, to understand the greatness of the love of Christ. But we cannot know or understand or comprehend the greatness of the love of Christ. It is to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. So I want to ask you today. How can we understand something that is well beyond our understanding? It's quite simple, really. 
This is where we have to go back to the Greek text. That little word that's translated comprehend. It's not just to know in the intellectual sense. That would be the word gnosis, knowledge. It's used as our objective in verse 19, where Paul says we're to know the love of Christ. Well, we're to know it in that sense. That's an intellectual sense. We're to know the love of Christ. But in verse 18, the word comprehend, the word katalambanu, means to suddenly come upon something. Doesn't it? It means to be overtaken with a sudden realization, to be suddenly surprised by something that has just occurred to you. It's this eureka moment. Suddenly, the love of God overwhelms you. And you know it, even though you can't describe it or understand it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that to interpret the text in any other manner would do violation to it. I know that some of us in the Reformed camp, we're terrified of an excessive form of pietism, aren't we? We're terrified of that type of Christianity, which is all experience and no substance. All experience and no doctrine. All experience and no truth. But you see, the objective historical work of Christ on the cross and the internal application of that work go hand in hand. We know God loves us because he has demonstrated his love for us on the cross. And we know God loves us because we can behold what manner of love the Father hath been stowed upon us, that we should be called the Son of God. The Ephesian Christians are experiencing the love of Christ dwelling in their hearts. You see, the lesson is that you won't know the greatness of the love of God if you don't know the Savior. You won't know the length and breadth and depth and height of God's love if you've never known your sins forgiven, if you've never had the joy of knowing that you are in a right standing before God. So I ask you this evening, is God's love dwelling within your heart? You'll never sit and figure it out in your minds. It's not a purely mental problem. It's not a mathematical equation to be solved. It's not a riddle to be figured out. It's not something that you can sit down in an exercise book or with a computer and describe the love of God and understand it. But you can know it and grasp it and appreciate it and comprehend it because it has worked itself out in our radically changed lives. It is heart knowledge. That doesn't mean that head knowledge is excluded. Just that it isn't enough without Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. There's one very practical way to know the love of Christ. Paul says here, 
to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. But in verse 18, he puts it in a context for us that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. And I want to suggest to you if you want to know more of God's love then you need to be often among the people of God. The body of Christ is the context in which God's love is shed abroad. Paul insists that we experience this knowledge along with all the saints. It could mean, of course, that this indwelling love is an experience that is replicated in every single believer. Every true saint of God will have this indwelling love which will enable them to grasp the greatness of God's love for them and for mankind in general. Remember, the word saint here is not a reference to some dignitary of the Roman Catholic Church, someone who has been elevated by the Pope to sainthood and who has a stained glass window in some building or some church named in their honour. In the Bible, a saint is simply a Christian, a separated one, a believer in Christ. And you cannot be a Christian believer without having met Christ, having him dwelling in your heart by faith. But it could also be implied that in order to fully understand and appreciate God's love for sinners, then you must be part of the church. Not to a denomination or a local assembly, but to the church which is Christ's body. I know that there are some churches that claim a form of exclusivity. Some churches that will tell you that they have the exclusive means of salvation in their grasp. And if you're not part of their particular denomination, then you cannot be saved. Paul's referring here to all saints, to true saints, to true believers. When you become a Christian, when you become uh, aware when that sudden overwhelming sense of God's love for you invades your heart and your mind and your soul and your emotions and you surrender to him, you are part of God's church, part of the body of Christ. And practically, God's love is demonstrated among his people, those whom he has gathered in, those who are his elect. It is among his people that we come to worship him. It is among his people, his true church, that we build our relationships and our lifestyles. And it is there that we experience God's love. I know there are people who cannot make it to church people who are too old or too sick to get to a Christian fellowship, people who live in remote, remote places, people who live in countries and regions where there simply is no Christian fellowship. But then there are others who have opportunity to come and join themselves on to a local church and are simply too contrary to do so or too lazy or too busy or whatever excuse you like best. 
under no circumstances, under normal circumstances, there cannot ever be such a thing as a solitary Christian. When we know the love of Christ and we understand it through our personal relationship with Jesus, it brings us into the body of Christ and we are part of the invisible church and we are able to understand with all other Christians the love of God for us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 tells us a little bit about that. It says, And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You can only practice that in the context of the church. John 13 and 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Right, so what have we learned? We are being inwardly strengthened. So that through the love of God indwelling in our lives, there will be a process of change. We become more Christ-like. We call it sanctification, whereby that love of Christ is being worked out. Worked out in how we relate to others, how we love our neighbours, how we regard our fellow believers. Paul wants us to understand and to know God's love. And yet that impossible task, because God's love for us is so great that our tiny minds couldn't grasp it, yet we can know it by experience. As we are rescued from sin, and as every day we appreciate more and more the wonder of our salvation. Behold, look, discover what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. We should be called the sons of God. And we live out that experience in the context and the company of the Lord's redeemed people. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.